Okay, Acts chapter 4 from verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. second reading is um, from 1 Corinthians 12 verses 1 to 11 and that can be found on page 813 of your Bibles. Now about spiritual gifts brothers I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Susie, please get your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to pray. I've got very little voice tonight, so my apologies. I pray my voice holds out. pray that the Spirit speaks to us. I think just love that reading from Acts where as the apostles were filled with the Spirit, they, they spoke the Word of God boldly. And I pray that will be us tonight as we understand more about the Spirit. We'll be equipped and empowered just to go out to live for Jesus and to Proclaim his word more boldly. So let me pray. Our Father, thank you for time in your scriptures. Thank you for your spirit. Without him, all our preaching is, is useless. All our listening is useless. And so we do pray for a powerful work of your spirit tonight in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight's actually our last sermon in this sermon series on the personal work of the Holy Spirit. It's been fun to prepare. It's been pretty amazing to just grapple with who the Spirit is. 
Uh, we've looked at uh, the Spirit and the Word, how the Spirit inspired the Word of God and illuminates your mind and your heart to understand the Word of God. We looked at the, the Spirit and salvation, how nobody can be born again without the work of the Spirit. And what, what a relief that is for our evangelism. How, how the Spirit is our seal, is our deposit, who he assures us that we really are saved. We've seen how, how the Spirit of God is at work to make us more like Jesus. He longs to make us more like Christ. And our job is to keep in step with the Spirit, not to quench the Spirit, not to grieve the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to have every part of us. Uh, but no sermon series on the, the Holy Spirit would be complete uh, without looking at the gifts of the Spirit, the so-called spiritual gifts. But I want to start tonight by thinking about church. See, God describes his church as a family or a body. Different parts, different functions, but we're all working together. We're all equally important. It's that beautiful picture, isn't it, that, that nobody is unimportant. We all need each other. That, that's the picture of church. And friends, when a church is functioning like that, Different people, different gifts, different personalities, but this, this extraordinary unity, this amazing love. Then when people walk into that kind of family, that kind of body, they'd be amazed. Uh, that's the picture in 1 Corinthians 14. When, when a visitor walks in and they see this body working together, they say, God's in this place. What must I do to be saved? That's a picture of how God grows his church. That, that's a picture in the book of Acts. The church grows like this unstoppable force. It spreads like wildfire. And it wasn't about clever planning or 2020 visions or charismatic preachers or strong personalities. Nothing to do with extraordinary music or great atmosphere. It's about people living Christ-centered lives with this extraordinary Unity. Anyone can grow a crowd. Get the right speaker with the right atmosphere, with the right music, and the crowds will flock. But God doesn't want to grow a crowd. He wants to grow disciples, people who love him. And that's the movement of the Spirit. And God does that through you and through me and through his church. Don't you find that extraordinary? The Spirit of God would empower you to live for Jesus and love like Jesus, and the Spirit of God would place you here in this family called a church. And the Spirit of God would enable you to, to, to work hard at keeping the unity and to, to love people who are hard to love. And the Spirit of God would give you particular gifts and place you here in this body so that we can all work together and encourage each other. Isn't that extraordinary? Tonight we're looking at the gifts of the Spirit. They're called spiritual gifts. I want you to imagine that it's a Christmas day. Imagine you've got two kids, uh, two 11-year-old and a 9-year-old. One's called Jackie, one's called Johnny. And you've thought long and hard about what kind of gifts your two precious kids would love. You know their personalities, you know what they like. Uh, so Jackie loves music and Johnny loves sport. So Christmas day arrives and... Uh, you just love handing over the gifts. And Jackie opens her gift. 
She loves music. And you've got her an iPod Touch with a $50 iTunes voucher. And she loves it. Jackie loves it. And then Johnny opens his gifts, and he's got three gifts. He's got a, a soccer ball and a soccer kit and a soccer game for his Nintendo Wii. And he loves it. And they're very happy playing with their gifts. But by four o'clock that afternoon, they are fighting and they're squabbling. Because Jackie looks at Johnny and thinks, he's got three gifts. And I've only got one. Mum and Dad love him more than they love me. And Johnny looks at Jackie's gifts and says, you know, an iPod Touch, that costs a lot more money than my soccer ball and soccer kit. Mum and Dad must love her more than they love me. And so they squabble and they fight. Now, isn't that what we do with our so-called spiritual gifts? We, we covet the gifts that other people have. I mean, I want that gift of teaching. I want that gift of tongues. That's so much better than my gift of hospitality. Or, or that's not fair. He's got three gifts. And I've only got one. And my big point is that you've got to stop and remember the Spirit of God. He's the one who chooses. He's the one who decides what gifts that you should have. I know that when it comes to spiritual gifts, some churches talk lots about it. We rarely mention them. So what are these spiritual gifts? Look at, look at verse 4 of our passage. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Paul says there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. He's just reiterating gifts, service, working. They're the same thing. And the word for gift there in verse 4 is is charismata. It's where you get the word charismatic from. It's the same root as charis, which means grace. These, These are grace gifts. They are gifts given to us Freely by a generous God. You see, these gifts are never a sign of your worthiness because you never earn them. They're just freely given to them by, by the Holy Spirit. Now, you might ask God for a particular gift, but if it's not His will, you won't get it. What are these gifts? They're mentioned four times in the New Testament Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and 1 Corinthians 12. There's about 20 different gifts mentioned, but that's not an exhaustive list. I've just put some up on the screen. You've got healing and giving and knowledge and faith and tongues and ministration and wisdom and hospitality and miracles and prophecy and helping and evangelists and teaching. But let me say up front, I do think that all these gifts exist today. So I'm not a cessationalist. So some people believe that these gifts ceased Uh, with the early church, they ceased once the word of God was complete. But I can find nothing in the Bible to back that up. I'm not a cessationalist. I'm not a Pentecostal. You know, they're the people who who, who read the book of Acts and they read about healings and tongues and miracles and and driving out demons and they say, well, they must happen today. Uh, Just because Acts describes what God did doesn't mean that they must happen today. I'm not a cessationist, I'm not a Pentecostal, and I'm not, I'm not what I call a, a pseudo-cessationist. I think that's most of us. You know, 
I reckon lots of people are like this. The gifts are just so bizarre and so odd, we, we kind of keep them at a distance. You know, we, we secretly hope it was all over in the first century. Or, or we don't mind other churches having them, but please not here in this church. When I read the Bible, let's reclaim the word charismatic. It just means grace gift. I'm not saying that all gifts are essential, but there's potential for all these gifts today. God doesn't promise them, but God could give them. And we'll spend time tonight on tongues and prophecy. I'm not going to duck those issues. I want to look at four questions. But before we do that, a really important caveat. Your spiritual gift is not the ultimate mark of your spirituality. Your spiritual gift is not the ultimate mark of your spirituality. Look what he says in verse 1 about spiritual gifts. Actually, the word gift isn't there. About spiritual matters, literally. I don't want you to be ignorant. So, so who are the spiritual people? What's the mark of your spirituality? Is there in verse 3. No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So a mark of your spirituality is that you are claiming that Jesus is Lord. A sign that someone is spiritual is they confess and they live with Jesus as Lord. They may not speak in tongues, they may not perform miracles, they may not have masses of gifts, but if they're living with the Lordship of Christ in their life, that is more important than any gift you've got. With that caveat, let me ask these four questions. The who, how, what, and why. Who? Which people have these spiritual gifts today? That's the easiest question to answer. And the answer is? Everyone. Every, every Christian. Every believer. Every redeemed person. Everyone who has the Spirit of God has at least one gift. It's not like the fruit of the Spirit where every believer should desire all the fruit. When it comes to the gift, no one person has every gift, but every person has at least one gift. Now look at verse, verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. To, to each one, to each one, the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Or, or down to verse 11. For all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one who is calling Jesus Lord, just as he determined. And what Paul is saying is that if you're a Christian, you've got a gift. It may not be spectacular, but you've got a gift. It may not be the gift that you want, but you've, got, you've been given a gift. What does that mean? It means that we need to learn to be content. I mean, be content with the gift that God's given us. Not always feeling jealous of someone else. To be thankful Thankful for your gift, thankful for the gift of others, and to be humble. One thing that frustrates me is when people talk about you know, my gift. Uh, my gift is administration, my gift is prophecy, my gift is teaching, my gift is music. It's not your gift. It's God's gift that he's blessed you with. Get that right, it will humble you. So, so who's got gifts? All of us. If we, if we call Jesus Lord, you've got a gift. Maybe this week you need to grab a sheet of paper and prayerfully consider what gifts God has given you. Ask people, you know, what gifts do you see God has given me? That's the who. 
Why? What's the purpose of these spiritual gifts? Why does the Spirit of God give us these different gifts? Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Or just flick over to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. He says, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church or the body. It's the same thing in Ephesians 4, verse 12. God gives different gifts to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. That is so liberating. God gives you gifts so that you might build up other people and edify other people and encourage other people. But the gifts aren't for you. They're not given to make you feel good. It's not like a, a brooch that you wear, a bit of jewelry that you wear. So people say, hey, look at me, look at me. The gifts are more like the, the toolbox. Lots of different tools, but they're all important. They're given for the common good. So, so the, the Spirit gives gifts like teaching and administration and healing and prophecy so that we as a body might be strengthened, not that you might be puffed up. Now that's important because if you want to test how important a gift is, the question is not how impressive is, is this gift or how miraculous is this gift. The question is, is this gift building other people up? Remember that the, 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 the God describes it as a body? That's how Paul describes us in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 onwards. Let me just read verses 12 to 26 of chapter 12. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hands, I, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And what Paul is saying here is that just as a human body it is a single unit with many parts, our body will only function and grow properly when every part is working well. So if the kidney says, actually, I would rather be a liver, so I'm going to stop working, your body won't work well. If the ankle says, I, I don't like being covered all the time, I want to be an eye, I'm not going to work anymore, your body wouldn't function well. And the point is that within the church, every single one of us with our different gifts are needed and valuable and important. And this church cannot function properly, this body cannot function properly 
unless every single gift is being used well. So, so how could this church function without the gift of help? It's not a particularly sexy gift, is it? It's a gift of help. But you know, the people who arrive early and set up supper and clean up and wash up, or the gift of administration where they put together rosters and they oversee finances and do all the business matters, or the gift of wisdom where you meet up and encourage people and counsel them, or the gift of giving or evangelism or prayer or hospitality. We all need those gifts to function as a body. There was a man in my church in London and he would never get up front. He would never read the Bible. He would never pray. But he had the gift of help. He turned up an hour early every single Sunday. He put out chairs. He made sure there was a Bible on every chair. No one asked him to do that. But without him, that church would not function. There was another man who came to me and said, I've got the gift of teaching. I said, that's great. But we, need, we need teachers at our youth group on a Friday night. He said, no, I, I don't want to teach youth. I want to preach in church. As I talked to him, his motivation was all wrong. It was all about him and not serving the body. So if you're sitting here today and you've got a gift, can I urge you and encourage you to use it for the good of others? Be humble enough and responsible enough to use it not to puff yourself up, but to serve God and to serve his people and to grow his church. That's the who, that's the why, let's look at the what. That's what you're waiting for. What are these gifts? Let's look at the list. Chapter 12, verse 8. Now to one that's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. All of us have wisdom. All of us should be growing in wisdom. But this gift of wisdom, I think, is that ability that the Spirit gives some people... To, to bring spiritual insight in that timely, helpful way. That, that, that incredibly wise person that you've met who has the ability to articulate or, or bring some insightful word into that particular situation. You think, gosh, I could never do that. They've got the gift of wisdom. Or the gift of knowledge, verse 8. Uh, to another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. The message of knowledge is that ability to store truths about God, uh, truths from the Scriptures, truths about his character, and you just bring them to bear into a certain situation. Or the, the gift of faith. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit. Look, we've all got faith, if we're believers. He's not talking about saving faith. So what's the gift of faith? I know someone who's got the gift of faith. I'll tell you why. This lady has this extraordinary trust and confidence in God's sovereignty and God's goodness, even in the times of trial and darkness and pain. That's a gift of faith where you think, no, no God is sovereign and God is good and God is kind. I'm going to trust him even though this seems impossible. Have you met those people? I think of a, of a Koi Tamboom whose faith in God in the concentration camps, that's the gift of faith. Of a George Muller who never pleaded for money to build his orphanages, but just, just prayed and trusted God to provide. He had the gift of faith. That steadfastness, that confidence in God, 
when everything else seems impossible. What about the gift of healing, verse 9? To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. This gift is not the same as Jesus' gift where he could just speak a word or touch and they'd be healed. But some people have this extraordinary ability to, to pray for the sick, to plead with God for healing, to, to, to lay hands or anoint people, and God does heal them. Now, let me say, God can heal miraculously today. Of course he can. Who are we to limit his ability? But this is not just physical healing. I think this is emotional healing. This is psychological healing. This is spiritual healing. That these people have this gift of praying for people emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually, and God answers that prayer. Verse 10, there are the gift of miracles, of mighty acts and wonders. The gift of prophecy. I'll come to that later. I'm not dodging it. Prophecy, distinguishing between spirits. That's the gift of discerning what is true, what is false. The, the true prophet from the false prophet. That ability to perceive hypocrisy or deceit or phoniness. And the gift of tongues, interpreting tongues. The point is that this list isn't exhaustive. Let me just run through some other ones. Romans 12 talks about the gift of teaching the gift of encouraging, the gift of giving to those in need, the gift of leadership, the gift of showing mercy, all gifts of the Spirit. Ephesians 4 talks about the gift of evangelism, that those people who have that, that gift of being able to articulate the truth of the gospel in the, most, in the most beautiful way, and they're just not ashamed. The gift of pastoring, shepherding, discipling, caring, nurturing. The gift of teaching where People don't just know the Bible, but they can communicate it. The gift of hospitality from 1 Peter chapter 4, where you open your homes. The gift of helping, the the, behind the scenes, hard work. They're not all spectacular, lots of ordinary gifts. So, so what about prophecy? What about tongues? The word prophecy is there in, in verse 10. To another, the gift of prophecy. What can we say about prophecy? Let me say three things about it. It's different from Old Testament prophecy. So the Old Testament prophet spoke a direct revelation from God to teach God's people about God's character to point them to Messiah. It's a different word. It's, it, Jesus has come. The Bible is complete. We haven't got a, a timeless truth that the prophets speak. So, so what do we know about prophecy? Flick over to chapter 14. Verse 2. No, no, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So desire it, long for it. For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. Instead, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies, edifies, builds up the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. It doesn't define what prophecy is, but it does touch what, it, what prophecy does. It strengthens, it encourages, it comforts. 
And the rest of the scriptures tell us to, to weigh prophecy and to test it. So, so what is prophecy? I think prophecy is when you speak a particular word from God with powerful directness and unmistakable relevance into a, into a specific situation. Where the Spirit of God has given you a word that people need to hear that's weighed against Scripture. And there are prophets in this congregation that have an incredible perception about the Word of God, an incredible perception to people's lives, and they speak and they say, there's somebody here tonight who needs to be reminded that God is good all the time or that, that God has a power to heal or there's somebody here who needs to be rebuked about their, about their worldliness or their stubbornness or, or that person who's spoken to me and said, Paul, you need to hear this. And they don't know me, they don't know my situation, but they've spoken the word of God into my life, and it's prophetic. I do hope there's space in this church for prophecy. A tongues is much easier to define. 14 verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. It's that prayer between you and God. The word for tongue there is, is glossolalia. It's, a, it's not the same word that's used in Acts 2. Remember Acts 2, day of Pentecost, uh, where the disciples speak in different tongues. The word there is different languages. It's known languages. They're given this gift to suddenly speak a known language they've never learned before. Uh, but the word here is kind of like a gibberish word, where you utter unintelligible sounds. It's non-human language. And most importantly, look at verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Or down to verse 18. I, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in the tongue. So when it comes to tongues, what he's saying is that it's that gift where you are sitting down and you're in your prayer time and suddenly you start speaking in a language that you haven't learnt and it's edifying for you. you. You draw closer to God. You're more intimate with God because of that prayer time. And there are people in this church who have the gift of tongues. Leaders, yes, staff members have the gift of tongues and it's very helpful for their private walk with God. But in a gathering... It's not helpful unless somebody interprets it because it doesn't build us all up. I also know people who have been given this gift of tongue for a particular moment in time. I know people who have prayed for this gift but never given it, never, never received it. That's okay. It's not, all be, it's not the be all and end all. And if you've got the gift of tongues tonight, thank God for it. Use it. Use it privately. But don't let it be a source of your pride or your preoccupation. And if you're using church, let's ask for an interpretation. Lastly, the how. How should the spiritual gifts be used in church today? Let me read verses, chapter 14, verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful in church where we gather together and everyone is longing to speak? 
You know, you have open microphone. There's a queue of people longing to, to give a, a word of encouragement or a prophecy or to share something about God. Verse 26 again. All of these must be done for the strengthening, for the building up of the church, not yourself. Here it is, verse 27. If, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak. So, so the speaker is able to control himself or herself one at a time, and, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Uh, two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said against Scripture. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. How should they be used? Just three words, intelligibly, audibly, orderly, sorry, and in love. Intelligibly. So, so, so we must be able to understand and be built up by what's being said. Back in verse 19 he says, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in the tongue. So, so someone standing up saying, Jesus Christ died for you, is far more edifying than 20 minutes of tongue speaking with no interpretation. Intelligibly, orderly, so you know, one at a time, two or three most. But the biggest way is, is in love. And that's chapter 13. It's not written as a beautiful poem for weddings. It's a rebuke to a divided church. He's saying if you speak in tongues and have no love, it's, it's nothing. If you prophesy without love, you've got nothing. Just make sure that you use whatever gift God has given you in the church in a loving way. Loving others and, and loving God. I want to say, friends, that God has blessed this church with so many different spiritual gifts. Some natural, some supernatural. And I pray the Spirit would give us more gifts. Not so that we might be puffed up, but that we might be built up. That we might be empowered to take the gospel out. We might be enabled to serve as a body. We might be equipped with this extraordinary unity that comes by using these gifts in love. Whatever gift God, God has given you, use it wisely Use it selflessly. Use it humbly so the whole church is built up. So there you go, spiritual gifts. It's, not, it's a massive topic. I've just scratched the surface. We've all got them if you're a Christian. They're all different. They're all to be used for the good of others. So pray the Spirit would gift us, empower us, unite us, and equip us. And pray that we wouldn't be like Jackie and Johnny, fighting and squabbling over what we haven't got and resenting other people but just saying, thank you, God, for the gifts you've given us. Let me pray. <coughs> Father, thank you that my voice held out. Thank you, Father, for the gifts you've given us in this church. Thank you for those who have the gift of prophecy and, and tongues and administration and help and hospitality, the gift of teaching and evangelism and pastoring. Thank you, Father, that you've made us all different. Please, Lord, would you protect us from pride? Please protect us from disunity and jealousy and fighting. Please protect us from disorder. 
We pray that whatever happens in this gathering will be orderly and intelligible and, and done in love. And we pray that you might unite and empower and grow your church in this place. In Jesus' name.